Hi, everybody. Instead of doing our usual Friday news roundup, we're doing something different today. There's only one subject that seems really urgent. After the Uvalde Elementary School shooting, the National Rifle Association is holding its annual convention right here in downtown Houston, and Donald Trump is going to speak. Joining me to discuss that are two of our CityCast contributors, political writer Shiam Gallion and Evan Mintz, who in 2017 was a Pulitzer finalist for Houston Chronicle editorials he wrote on gun control. It's Friday, May 27, 2022. I'm Lisa Gray, and this is CityCast Houston. So the NRA's annual convention is here in Houston, Friday through Sunday. Never mind that our state has just suffered an elementary school shooting in which 19 children and two adults died. Evan, could you start by giving us a brief overview of the state of the NRA today? It's not the financial powerhouse it used to be, right? No, the NRA is in trouble right now. Uh, They're facing bankruptcy. They're facing lawsuits and their problems just keep going. Uh, they're facing claims that they've misused as much as $64 million over the past three years uh, with claims of self-dealing, of people paying themselves, uh, of CEO Wayne LaPierre, uh, basically just using the organization's money to get himself things like charter planes for him and his family and giving gifts to NRA vendors and spending more than a million dollars on personal expenses, which includes his golf club membership. (laughs) And yet, despite all of this, they are still a powerful political force. And one thing I just keep coming back to is that uh, back in 2017, The city Mm -hmm. of Dallas banned a convention from their city, the Exotica Convention, a porn convention, because they (laughs) thought it was inappropriate. No porn in Dallas. And I just can't wrap my head around how Dallas can ban a porn convention, but Houston can't find a way to get rid of an NRA convention after a mass shooting like this. Could Sylvester Turner have pulled out of that contract at the last minute? You're, you're trained as a lawyer. What would that do? Uh, well, I, one of my favorite saying about contracts is that they are made to be broken. That is why you have a contract. Contracts mm-hmm. lay out the standards of what happens if somebody doesn't do what they've said. Uh, and so clearly there's something that the city could do. They pay a lot of money to break the contract. Yeah, but then would we have a whole lot of pissed off NRA members marching around the city armed to the teeth, maybe meeting up and parks where we don't want them? Maybe. You know, would Trump hold an, you know, unplanned rally here? I I can see Turner being nervous about pulling out of this for reasons other than just losing a lot of money. Turner is a lowercase c conservative politician. Uh, But I can also see a bolder politician, uh, someone who's willing to put up a fight and inspire his side at the risk of inspiring the other side uh, and do something like this. All right. So speaking of bolder politicians, did both of y'all see Beto O'Rourke on Wednesday uh, while at Greg Abbott was having a press conference about the shooting? Beto basically stood up and made a scene. He 
approached the stage, he said that this shooting was, I think the quote was, utterly predictable, and that Texas is going about business as usual. What did y'all think about that? Did you think it was effective? Absolutely. Um, People who have a platform right now are modeling behavior um, that the rest of us, you know, use in our private lives to gauge like what is normal and what is not normal. Um, and people like Beto O'Rourke and uh, Steve Kerr. Uh, I'm not a sports person, but I now am a fan of the Golden State Warriors. <laughs> I believe they're behaving responsibly with their platform. And by pushing against established narratives of, um, you know, let's not politicize this and you, you know, we couldn't have seen this coming by saying, actually, this was very predictable. And Steve Kerr by saying, um, politicians can uh, do something about this, but they don't because they want to hold on to power. Um, and, and directly asking, when will our children's lives be worth more than your love and desire for power is actually the responsible thing to do right now. But I think some politicians are actually sort of seizing this moment to talk about Second Amendment rights, to like wrap themselves in the NRA. The NRA is bringing in big time speakers, ex-president Donald Trump, Senator Ted Cruz, Governor Abbott. John Cornyn dropped out. Oh, okay. He said he said he made the decision before the mass slaughter in uh, Uvalde, but uh, I'll, I'll give him credit for just not being there. Right. The bar is low. Did D- Cornyn say why he dropped out? He said he had personal matters in D.C. So what does it mean that some politicians still want this stage? There is still, like, value in the Republican Party, in the NRA platform? The only voters who matter in our two-party system are the voters who show up in primaries. And very few people vote in primaries. But a lot of these NRA folks vote in their primaries, so they matter. So that is especially true in Texas and the Republican primary. Mm -hmm. Very few Democrats, well, right now, no Democrats have been able to crack statewide races Mm -hmm. because so many people just vote Republican. Meanwhile, gun owners, and not just gun owners, but people who want to roll back long-time regulations on guns have been successful in the legislature. Uh, Things that even Republicans said would never pass, such as uh, unlicensed carry, passed. Like, we've seen the impossible become possible in this state. Yeah. And even inside this NRA convention, it seems that there's some recognition that (laughs) open carry is maybe not a good idea. Donald Trump's Secret Service are going to be blocking people from carrying in guns to that speech. Yeah. No guns allowed at the NRA convention. <laughs> okay, just at that you think, one speech. You think maybe they're on to something? <laughs> you know, I think they, they might have a good idea there, those NRA guys, that if we need to keep people safe, if we're worried about their safety, you shouldn't allow guns to be near them. I guess they could say that we allow guns, but we just don't let bad people inside. I don't know why they just don't do that. That seems to be really in line with their way of thinking, that it's not guns that kill people, it's people who kill people, so why not just keep the bad people out? It's hard to imagine like a room more full of good guys with guns, that's the phrase mm-hmm. that I hear for keeping people yeah. safe, more good guys with guns, than an NRA convention, right? I, I Shouldn't don't know. that prevent I don't get more it. crime if it were really true? I I think it's helpful to um, pick away at the logic 
of of people who find themselves in, in uh, an audience of and supporting the NRA. There's a question of um, it doesn't seem to be about logic, and and I think that's what I've been thinking about mm-hmm. is like, uh, is is it just hard to wrap my mind around um, like this? Uh, blind pursuit of power at any cost is that just is that what it is i think what it is it's a it's a cultural identifier that the best way to determine whether somebody owns guns is whether their friends and family owns guns and the best way to determine whether someone doesn't is whether their friends and family don't it is a signal to the people around you and i have to say as someone who doesn't have guns whose friends and family don't have guns i find gun ownership this be very weird it's the way it goes about like, I, I suppose I can understand the sense of, well, this is a tool that I need to own, that I do shooting or hunting and I need to own. Or even I, I get these like tail end scenarios where people think to themselves, I need a gun to keep my family safe from the government. But to go around bragging about your gun ownership, to put so much into it, to make it like a key part of your personality, like, that's not something that I don't think you should be doing out in public. And while there's no law against it, I'm going to judge you. So for. I would I would actually push back on that a little bit. I don't think gun owners I don't think gun owners are a homogenous group. I'm willing to bet that a significant portion of gun owners or a not insignificant, let me say, um, is for common sense gun laws. For example, like regulating, if not outright banning assault rifles. I'm baffled at the group that still holds power who after after so many school shootings, will not concede anything and still holds on to to these very up, like wide-ranging, obtuse gun laws. I am not sure that even most Texans would say that we should ban ass- assault rifles. But I think we might be able to get some agreement on certain regulations. Um, like, should an 18-year-old be able to buy a rifle that's <laughs> legal in Texas right now? Could we move that age to 21? Would that even do anything? Like, would any of these regulations that we're talking about actually save lives? Because we have criminally underfunded research into gun policy in the United States that up until 2020, Congress spent basically no money uh, trying to figure out what gun policies save lives and what don't, in the same way that, say, we'd research car crashes or mm-hmm. cancer uh, or sepsis. We also don't collect any information on gun deaths. How many people are shot in the United States but don't die? We don't know. Right. We just don't track it. So how can we even talk about, like, the right way to save lives? We're, we're you know, trying to navigate in the dark here. But, I mean, I just have to say, if we're talking about bold politics, you know, mm-hmm. Fund gun research is not going to yep. get people out to vote, Evan. Come on. No, it's something that was actually approved under Trump. Right. So clearly Republicans are OK with it. But I think if yeah. we're going for bold politics, mm-hmm. we got to say D.C. v. Heller, the, the Supreme Court decision that said you have an individual right to gun ownership was wrongly decided. In the same way that anti-abortion groups spent decades going after Roe, I think that groups who really want to go after gun deaths who want to get guns under control have to start making that point. And I don't see every town. But the I don't Second see Amendment demand. does yeah, not I don't say see that individuals have because unlimited rights the, to own guns. Correct. The Supreme Court, American jurisprudence 
did not have that position until 2008. Whoa. I didn't realize it was that recent. Yeah. Okay. Exactly. This is a new thing. This idea that the Second Amendment has your individual right to own guns. No, there's a reason why there's a little clause in there about well-regulated militias. That's how it starts, right? That It's in the <laughs> middle of it. Yeah, okay. But, but that's how forever judges treated this. Mm-hmm. And only until 2008, uh, only in 2008, did we start to look at this as, well, the law says you have a right to it. And we're going to have a new Supreme Court decision coming out soon, uh, the Bruin case that is probably going to overturn a few more state regulations on guns. Uh, There's a whole campaign moving forward without folks paying too much attention to it. And I really think that if folks want to take this seriously... Is that in front of the Supreme Court? It's in front of the Supreme Court. They've heard it. The Uh opinion will be coming out soon. And it goes after New York's licensure regulations uh, that say that you need to have show cause to get a gun license. You need to like argue that you deserve a license. And folks are saying, no, that violates the Second Amendment. It violates my personal right to own a gun. And wow. I think seven states, six other states, have similar regulations as New York. So if this case comes down and they throw out the New York uh, regulatory scheme, then they're going to throw out all these other states. And of course, the Supreme Court could go even further with it, too. Wow. So then the rest of the country could be Texas. Yeah. But like, why have other countries like, I don't know, New Zealand or most of Europe, why have they been able to restrict guns? They just don't have American exceptionalism. (laughs) Because we're just America. We're just different. That's how it is. I think that it's something tied into a sense of individualism, that we were a nation that long had a sense of frontier. Right. This idea that the law ain't going to come in and protect you. You got to do it yourself. Correct. And it also you could tie it up perhaps in colonialism as well and say that you had a bunch of people marching across this nation, encountering other people who lived there and who were defending themselves and you needed guns to protect yourself from them. My QAnon friends and family expect some sort of civil war or societal breakdown soon. I will say the libertarians I know are consistent in their attitude, you know, to from IRS collector to police officer. <laughs> okay, it's, it's I understand how to argue with a libertarian, you know, hyper rational. But if you mm-hmm. feel that your people are under threat by whatever vague forces QAnon fears, is there anything that would make you feel less under threat that would make you not want to hole up in your house with a lot of guns and ammo? Yeah, Lisa, I think what you're what you're asking is how do we disarm not only literally the, the guns, but disarm the, the emotion that is like ready to to fight, basically. Being a true crime fan, um, think <laughs> I, I, I think about uh, people who have been in cults and what it's like to be taken in. This is different <laughs> than having a, right. a, a different opinion. It's as Evan said, it's a world building narrative. Um, and there are people right. who have studied when you've been in a cult to like deprogram the cult and like it's it's not easy. People can like rationalize it and be okay and be disarmed and still it, it really hits at your emotions in a way that that's like really activating. But I do encourage people, you know, when talking about violence, 
um, and wanting to be against violence is to think about how to disarm the situation in all the different ways. I would think that part of it is like one, like somehow get people to turn off their televisions and computers and just like look at the world around them and believe what they see with their own eyes. Uh, but another part of it, I think, is that like guns are cool. You know, people like owning guns, makes them look cool. Everyone, you know, believes that one day they will use that gun to protect themselves from a bad guy. Uh, and I think that there's a lesson to be learned in the anti-tobacco campaign that really set out to make cigarettes seem uncool and weird and gross. And they make their teeth yellow and your breath smells bad and it causes erectile dysfunction. Like, don't smoke cigarettes. Uh, and I wonder if there is a similar campaign to be made, which wouldn't require any legal change, mm -hmm. wouldn't require, you know, reinterpreting the Constitution, but just to make gun ownership, like, weird. Like, what kind of weirdo owns a bunch of guns? Um, you know, let's get them out of TV shows and movies. Uh, let's, like, raise the barrier to bring them into buildings and into homes and just make it seem bizarre to do this. It is uncool. It is unmasculine. Like, I feel like if a real man's got an issue with someone, like, you throw a punch. You know, you don't need a gun to help you out. <laughs> I, I think that might get at a certain segment of the population who's attracted to guns, for sure. I don't think that will get at everyone or, or get at, like, the heart of the problem. And I think what we need is, like, more trust in government. And in, if we have, in order to get that, the government has to actually work, um and and be in service of of people. I actually work at an online school. I work on the brand team. And I always say that the United States has three main brand narratives in which each of us are a character in. Um, there's the manifest destiny mm -hmm. narrative that's like this like Christian patriarchy kind of back to what Evan was saying, the US exceptionalism. There's the narrative that... Go West, young man. <laughs> there's the narrative that we are all immigrants. Um, and actually, you know, this is the land of opportunity and we're all immigrants here and everything is cool. And then, then the third narrative is that, hey, actually, we're not all immigrants. Some of us were here before. Some of us were forced to migrate here and brutalized for 300 years um, under the system of chattel slavery. And... All of you are out of your minds because none of this is exceptional and no, we're not immigrants. And I think that even if we did get the government to work for us, I'm thinking like healthcare, et cetera, I don't know if that would still increase trust in government uh, because there is a part of the population that lives in the narrative that government is this like kind of Christian patriarchy like that, that's the government. I live that's, in that reality. Shiam, I live in Texas. Uh, yeah, there's many parts in, of Texas that are like that. Definitely. <laughs> yeah. I mean, maybe not local state, government. State, here, Texas but... state government definitely is. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. You know, I work, I've worked on war issues. And one thing that I want people to take away is that when you confront a conflict and go through, in order to go through it, you have to do a, a reconciliation truth-seeking, uh, reparations. There's actual like processes to move a country away from the conflict and to kind of like a sort of therapy for the nation. We never did that. And that's why that, that second one about we are all immigrants and everything is cool is a place where a lot of people get confused. And I think for people who want that country, I would point to, well, we never had a reconciliation process. So we need national therapy. 
Evan yeah, wants the, fist fights. Yeah. You want national therapy. I actually don't see the difference. <laughs> both, are, both are cathartic. No, but I think you're onto something that the compromise yeah. of 1877 halted reconstruction, which was supposed to be this kind of truth and reconciliation, um, you know, re of setting people right, uh, of establishing a sense of justice, of protecting uh, people. And uh, it ended for partisan reasons. And we just then we had a bunch of backsliding uh, until like the 60s. And then we had a little bit of forward movement. And then we had a stop and a little bit of backsliding. And then after George Floyd, we have a little bit of movement. And now we're having some backsliding. And that just seems to be how it goes, is a swinging pendulum. All right. Well, thank you both so much for this. Thanks, Lisa. Thank you. That was Shiam Galleon and Evan Mintz. Some of our CityCast listeners have asked how they can be involved in changing Texas gun policies. Our roving producer, Carleon Jones, has made a list of the protests happening around Houston today. Hey, Lisa. So several groups are organizing in protest of the NRA convention that is set to begin today. Starting at 10 a.m., the League of United Latin American Citizens will be protesting outside the convention center, followed by Black Lives Matter Houston, Indivisible Houston, Moms Demand Action, and the Harris County Democratic Party at noon. Fiel Houston and a Houston interfaith group are both planning a separate call to action that will both take place at 1 p.m. For more details on these protests, check out our show notes. That's it for today here on CityCast Houston. Our lead producer is Dina Kesba. Our producer, Farrell Gibbs, is on vacation, so we have had help this week from roving producer Carleon Jones. I'm Lisa Gray. Our write our newsletter along with Brooke Lewis. Our music is by Farrell Gibbs and his band All the Kimonos. Monday is Memorial Day, so we will not have a show then. But we will be back on Tuesday with the first of our shows on hurricanes. Frank Billingsley, meteorologist from KPRC Channel 2, explains to us what to expect from this year's hurricane season. We'll talk with you then. Well-regulated and malicious. That is not the Second Amendment descript.